Jones and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bounce pass Williams. He's blocked by Durant. It's taken by Thor. He put it off the rim. No good. And Chris Paul gets the board. There's the first rejection from KD. And now he gets it open on the left side for three. And that is all met for Kevin Durant. Devin Booker set him up and KD knocked it down. Five o'clock hour of the Burns and Gambo show on this Thursday. Thanks for hanging out with us as we're live from the Auction Community Studios. Kevin Durant, his long-awaited debut. We had been waiting three weeks for it. You could argue we've been waiting eight months for it since the first Kevin Durant rumors came out. And they easily beat the Hornets last night, 105-91. At one point in the fourth quarter, Charlotte cut it to six, but it never really felt like anybody was actually threatened last night. Durant was good. Aiton was good. Booker was really good last night. Um, and we're all kind of sifting through our reactions and some of the things that we noticed about last night, all while putting it in proper perspective. That was a really bad basketball team they played <laughs> last night, right? Hey, yeah. hey we got this guy was good. This guy, and the entire Charlotte Hornets team is awful. Yeah. My God, that was like. They were terrible. I mean, Kelly Oubre got off man. to a terrible start. He ended up with a respectable point total, but man, he, he, was, he was awful yeah. last night. That, that was Ish Wainwright throw up awful. That was so bad, that team. <laughs> My God, so, they're terrible. So like, with with a grain of salt, okay, understanding that the competition, it was about as soft a landing as you could have asked for for Kevin Durant. Yeah, it was perfect. It was perfect. It was exactly yeah. what you would have wanted in that regard. What what were your takeaways? What did you notice that you like? Okay, I want to talk about that tomorrow. I want to make sure I bring this up. What did you notice about his debut? Well, you know, my my initial thought was that it was a very just you know boring basketball game. It, it, it was a it was a boring game. But we have to focus on the debut for Kevin Durant. He came out and hit ten out of fifteen shots. He 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 didn't look that rusty for a guy that hasn't played basketball in six or seven weeks. He you know we talked about his adaptability. He seemed to fit right in. Um, I, I was very curious. With with, with how Monty was going to use him. I mean, I know you noticed that, too, that yep. for the most part, they made sure one of those guys was on the court, him and Booker. They both played extremely well. But, you know, and Kevin Durant got, you know, we call it the Chris Paul treatment, right? Chris Paul used to be the guy who used to, you know, come out early, you know, earlier in the first quarter and then start the second quarter with the subs. And it was Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, you look at the second quarter, and when that game started, you look who he was on the court with, and he was on the court with the subs. He was on the court with all the backups in that game last night. So, you know, that stood out a little bit, too. He's playing with Ish and Landale and D. Lee and Payne and then, you know, hit a three-pointer. So I think that's what we were really, um, you know, looking at. We were looking at, you know, how he was going to fit in, how Monty was going to use him. We know how he's going to play with the starters, right? We kind of know when he plays with Book and D.A. and Chris Paul, like, you know, those guys are great players. You, you kind of feel like it's it's going to be good. How is he going to play when he's in the game with those other guys? How was Monty going to make sure that he played with those guys was Monty gonna and even in the fourth quarter he's in there with the fourth quarter started it was KD it was Landale it was Ish it was Payne and it was a code geek so he played with one other starter but it wasn't Book and it wasn't Paul and it wasn't DA Mm -hmm. so I was just curious to see how that was going to work out it may change as they're playing better teams but that's how it worked out last night yeah and and that was uh, there were three big things I noticed and that was probably the biggest among them was was in our minds we always envisioned that one of Kevin Durant and Devin Booker would be on the floor at all times. And, and i got to imagine that in the playoffs, it's it's going to shrink even more to where you could say that two of Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Chris Paul are going to be on the floor almost at all the time. Or, or, or certainly even if you want to expand it to DeAndre Ayton. Th- that was one of the big things I noticed yesterday was that when in the past, when Booker wasn't on the floor, especially this season, there was a lot, it was a white knuckle ride. There were a lot of nerves. There was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of discomfort because you just didn't know where's the scoring going to come from and, and how are they going to manage this offensively. All of that is completely, totally eradicated when Kevin Durant is on the floor. You, you simply do not worry about non-Devin Booker minutes, just like you pointed it out a second ago. Two years ago, it was the same way with Chris. We didn't worry about the non-Devin Booker minutes because Chris was out there, and at that point, Chris was a better scorer than he is now. Well, that's changed. He's gotten older. He, he's just not the same offensive player that he was with the shot. Now, to be able to have Durant out there in those non-Devin Booker minutes, he played like 
12 minutes where he was on the floor and Booker wasn't, he was 7 for 9 for 16 points during those 12 minutes. I, that's, that, I, I always thought the benefit of Durant and Booker was Durant and Booker being on the floor. And it probably will be, but Durant instead of Booker, that is a huge benefit as well. And one that I was not expecting so early on to notice as much as we did. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. I mean, you know, when, when, when Book's not on the court, Katie's ability to prevent a team from going on a run, having him out there. Look, for the most part, the Suns were very much built with, with their bench in previous years. James Jones always made sure he had a really good bench. I mean, when Cam Johnson was on the bench and, you know, and they had good players and, and they, they could, they could hold their own. You know, they could hold their own and, and keep the score even, even going up against another team's starters. Now with the ability to have KD play with those guys for a little bit, it's like you've always got this one guy that can make sure that the team's not going to go on an 8 nothing spurt or 12-2 run because you've got KD out there. That'll be good to, you know, allow those other guys to rest. And I, you know, I really paid attention to when guys were coming out of the game and coming into the game and stuff like that because, you know, I'm kind of fascinated by substitution patterns, uh, things like that. But it's... Clearly, you know, when KD's on the court, everybody else is a little bit better. I think those guys were hyped up. They wanted to play well. Some of those guys maybe felt the pressure, and that's why some guys didn't play well. Book didn't feel it. Book had a good game. Yeah, Book had a good game. Aiton had a good game. The three of them combined for 76 points, 5 of 11 from three. The rest of the Suns combined for 29 points and were 10 of 38 from the floor. So you're, you're right. I mean, everybody not named Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, or DeAndre Aiton really struggled in last night's game. I'll tell you the other thing that was really apparent watching that game, and I know this is never the first thing you think about or talk about with Kevin Durant, but when you've got two seven-footers out there with him and along with DeAndre Aiton, Defensively, it really opens some doors. I mean, it really allows you, especially since Aiton is pretty fleet of foot for a big guy, you can move him out on the perimeter, you can have him guarding pick and rolls out there, and you still have a seven-footer behind you who's kind of clogging the lane, albeit not a thick seven-footer, but certainly one who's tall with long arms and moves decently enough. You can really see defensively, I mean, they threw an absolute blanket on Charlotte at times. Now, it's easy because Charlotte, you know, isn't very good. But I think defensively, maybe this is going to work out better than we thought. It's not going to replace Mikel. Mikel is Mikel. But to have two seven-footers out there, I really liked that a lot last night. Well, I've got Durant at 6'10", so I don't know where you get the two seven-footers from. But he's big, and he's long. Close. He's not seven feet tall. He's always listed at 6'9 for years, but I think he's actually 6'10". But he is long. And what happens... You know, with that length, and that's why we looked at the defense blocking shots. Right, he doesn't move. His, you know, he's thirty. He's going to be thirty-five years old. You know, in in, in like he's thirty-four and a half. So he's got a little. His birthday's in September. He'll be thirty-five. Doesn't move his feet as well as like you know some some other type of defenders do. But what he does do is he uses. He's smart. Smart basketball player. He's got good basketball IQ. Knows where to be. Knows positioning and things like that. So he could defend you know, multiple positions. He could defend those guys. Uh, you'll see sometimes on switches, he could be out on a guard. But he does use that, that length to his advantage. That, that's his biggest advantage. There's no, there's no real weakness for Kevin Durant, right? He's not a bad no. defensive player. He's, a, like, he's good at everything. The, the only weakness is health. That's his only weakness. He's, he's a good ball handler. He's a really good shooter. He's a really good three-point shooter. He's a good defensive player. You know, good passer. Like, everything about Kevin Durant, he's either good to great at everything. The only weakness is health. That's the only weakness for Kevin Durant is health. Yep. And then the other thing was just how much he opened up stuff for everybody else. I mean, Devin Booker, good, easy, clean looks. DeAndre Ayton, good, easy, clean looks. I mean, the the shooting percentages in Gerald Bourget from PHNX Sports put this out there this morning and I, th- I thought it was a great number that kind of summed up some of what we saw. When Kevin Durant was on the floor, the Suns shot 53.5% last night. When he was not on the floor, they shot 41.3%. Is it, boy, isn't that amazing? He just makes things so much easier. I would love to have tell Gerald to do that for the first five games. I'd like to see how that comes in for all for the first five games. Okay, like We saw it last night against Charlotte. What's it going to be like against a team that is actually 
that can defend. <laughs> What's it going to be like for a team that defends? I want to see. I want to see that. Yeah, me too. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, Jalen Carter returned to the scouting combine today. Now that everything has settled in and all the information is out there, how does this impact the Cardinals' plans potentially drafting him? We'll talk about that coming up on the Burns and Gambo show. Burns and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Another interesting spot, number three for the Arizona Cardinals. We we may get quarterback bang bang one two, putting the Cardinals in a perfect position. Could they take the best position player on the board? Maybe it's Will Anderson to put on a show here behind me today. That's a possibility. New general manager Monty Ostenford also was pretty clear. He's open for business as well. They're going to be prepared to pick again. Got a great draft spot, but could that be for sale as well? Could we get quarterback, quarterback, quarterback? One, two, three. That is going to be fascinating to watch over the course of the next couple months. Ian Rappaport, we are still two months away from the NFL drafts, and he's talking about the Cardinals and all the options they could have. But, of course, those options got a little bit of a speed bump, and pardon the metaphor, since we're talking about what happened on the road with Jalen Carter, but a big-time speed bump for the Arizona Cardinals and for any team interested in drafting Jalen Carter. He has returned to the NFL Combine after his arrest. He returned to Indianapolis to finish interviews with teams and to conduct his measurements. He was never going to run. He was never going to do the three cone. He wasn't going to work out or do anything like that. But he was going to meet with teams, and it's those would be those would be some conversations to be a fly on the wall for. I would love to know what teams would have to say to him and how he would explain himself after what happened. Gambo. Well, he has some explaining to do. Yes, he does. <laughs> he's, he's got some explaining to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the biggest thing, you know, is people are going to question his character. You know, you pointed out to me that in September he got cited for driving twice the speed limit. He was driving 89 and a 45. Yep. You know, and, and again, like I always, you know, common sense, common sense. You think about things like most people, when they get a speeding ticket, they tend to not go very fast in, you know, the next few months, or maybe a year. They're kind of worried. They don't want to get a second ticket. They don't want to pay the extra fine. They don't want to have their insurance go up and have the points on the license. And most kind of people put the two and two together, even at a younger age. You're, you know, if you get a speeding ticket, you're more likely to drive slower and not, you know, be careful for a while. Eventually, you go back to driving a little bit faster. But for the most part, you know, common sense ticks in. September and then January, and who knows what he's doing in between. The character is going to be a question here. And a lot of people, you know, and I, I was reading the story today with scouts and saying just they, they don't know if the kid loves football. He loves playing on Sunday, but he doesn't love the work to get to, you know, to I mean, Saturday. He loves playing on Saturday, but doesn't really love the work to get there. Look, there's some real big red flags that are up right now with, 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 with the arrest, and, and he'll explain himself, and he says he'll be exonerated and stuff like that, but you know, other stuff are coming out now, too, and you know, I, I mean, I don't know how far the, the kid could drop in the draft, but there are team there are teams that are going to be very reluctant to draft him right now. It's interesting because the two things that he was and he was arrested. He returned to Athens, Georgia, to basically surrender himself to authority. He he was arrested on Wednesday night. He was charged with reckless driving. He was charged with racing in relation to a car crash. Miraculously, those are both only misdemeanors. It, it seems like the second one would be serious than that, but but whatever. Um, and obviously that crash killed his teammate, killed a staff member of Georgia, and he allegedly reportedly drove away from that and was one of the other cars racing in that. He was booked and released on Wednesday night, and and, and the fact that they're only misdemeanors suggests that legally there won't be a lot that will come down on him because of this, because they are misdemeanor charges. It's really perceptually now, and and teams are kind of left to think, okay, why would this kid do something that dumb and if I draft him is he going to do something dumb when he's here with me and then you mentioned the questions of the motor and and I was fascinated to read this story that you sent me on Sports Illustrated with two unnamed anonymous you know scouting director directors and executives quote I think he loves to play football but he doesn't love to work at it here's another one quote he's just really gifted and with a motor that doesn't run that hot it adds up to a 
streaky, unpredictable dude, close quote. And it's just got me wondering if he falls, and he's probably going to, where's his threshold? Like, where's his, how far can Jalen Carter fall before team, some team says, you know what? That's just too good a value. I, I, I got to take him here. It, no matter how big of a problem he is, it's worth the risk. It's worth the chance. Is it five? Is it nine? Is it 12? Is it late first? I, I don't know. I don't know where his floor it, is because it, of this. It, it's where the Cardinals were when they took. You're not going to fall out of the first round. If you go back to the year the Cardinals took the gamble on Robin and Kim Deitch, it didn't work out. But you're talking about a team that was 13-3, and three, that made it to the conference finals and lost to Carolina, that had a good roster, they had a good team and they said you know what we can afford to take a chance here if it works out great you know we've probably got a top five top ten talent in this draft and if it doesn't work out so what we got a really good roster we'll be fine we'll win a lot of games um so that was it i mean if you're a good team with not a lot of holes and you you might take the chance you might say listen this kid is an incredible talent he was talked about being the number one pick in the draft the same way robert kimdichi was at one point and if he drops into the teens or the 20s some team that's a decent team may say this is this kid's too talented like he's too talented for us not to take a chance it might be worth the risk right he's not going to jail he didn't kill anybody um but the what you know what he did do and what he's being, you know, accused of is definitely worth. Can you know? You, you got to consider whether it's worth taking him or not. Um, and you've got to have those discussions with him and your department and, and and go through it because again, that those are some serious red flags. You do have character concerns with this kid right now that you've got to worry about. But there, but there's no way like he falls completely off the draft board and doesn't get drafted in the first oh, round. Oh no, I I would suspect there are a handful of teams who are really into the character issue who might take him off the draft board entirely. Not a lot, but. A couple here or there who might say we wouldn't even consider him, but I think most still would. I mean, I I think for a lot of teams, I I think about the Bears and I think about the Cardinals. Two teams that we talk about a lot trading down. And I I think to myself, I wonder if there's a have-your-cake-eat-it-too scenario for either one of those teams where they could move down and still be in a position to take Jalen Carter. You know, Whereas before, you would have had to move down to, at the very latest, four. And you were never going to get them past four. I'm wondering now if if the Bears wanted to move off of one and get just a huge haul to move down to nine or ten or twelve, could you do that and still get Jalen Carter? And the same question is for the Cardinals. Could you move down from three to nine, from three to eleven, get a huge haul of picks to do it and still be in a position to take Jalen Carter? Because if, if you are, that's tempting. I, I mean, I can't sit here and say, oh, no, man, I wouldn't touch him. I wouldn't take him. He's going to be awful. Don't do it. It's, it's not worth the risk. At some point, it is going to be worth the risk, and there is kind of a home run scenario to consider here of moving down, getting a crap ton of picks, and still being in a position to draft Jalen Carter. That's not a bad place to be. But is it still, isn't it still a risk for a team that has so many holes and is so bad? Compared to a team that's really good, that's later. Even if you, you, even if they do what you said, you're still, you know, you're still taking a a, a player in the top ten that might be a character concern and have a lot of red flags. And I, I, I just wonder. Even if, I'm just wondering here. Even if they do what you just said, they trade down to nine. Okay, they get, you know, they get a bunch of extra picks. Right, they get a future first. Maybe they get an extra second this year that's still going to be your first pick in this draft. That's yes. still going to be the first pick you make in this draft is going to be that kid. You better make sure that you better make sure that that, that, that player is going to be able to come in and, and, and be a good player for you. You better. And and I don't know if the Cardinals would be willing to take that chance given the year that they're coming off of. I, I don't know if they can afford taking that kind of risk. I think somebody will. And, and, and I guess to me the the saving grace of all of this is, is even if you do take him, let's say at number nine and you're the Cardinals, the cost of moving down from three to nine, you're going to get so many draft picks that you're going to, they're not going to be the ninth pick overall in the draft, but in some ways you'll be able to make up for whether he was a failure because you've got other draft picks to lean on. I, it, it all comes down to what the private investigators say, because you know they're going to dig. It all comes down to the examinations and the interview 
interviews to find out about the kid. And I'll tell you, the decision-making things got me concerned. The whole thing about the motors got me concerned, too. You, you If he's got motor questions, if yes. he's got somebody who doesn't like to work very hard at being a football player, mm-hmm. that, to me, is just as much a red flag as it is what he's doing in his car. Because that that's the kind of thing where you go, okay, I'm going to give you a lot of money. I'm not paying you that kind of money to come in here and half-ass it all the time, you know? Yeah, and that's why, like, you know, a couple days ago, I would have leaned him over Anderson, but like now, to me, it's to me, I would take Anderson. I mean, I, again, the teams will do their homework. They'll, they'll, they've got to figure out if this kid's motivated, if he wants to be great. Um, but the interviews may be. You can look at the talent on the field and love the kid. The interviews are ultimately going to determine whether you, you'd be willing to take this kid or not. And, you know, you've got to do your due diligence and do your homework. You've got to really dig into this situation and find out what he was involved in. How much did he know? Did, did he leave the scene? Did two people die and he left the scene? I mean, I don't know that. But, like, did, did he just leave and he came back a couple hours later? Right. He said that he he said that he he heard the crash from where he was at. But the police are saying that he was driving a car and that he was involved and they were racing and everything. And, um, you know, I, I mean, usually when, when people are racing, you try to see where the other guy that comes in second. If you win, the other guy comes in second place, I would think. Um, but again, I just I think there's just there's so many questions right now that I don't have the answers to. I'm not taking him off the draft board, my draft board right now. I'm still considering him, but I've got a I've got a interview a lot more people than I was originally expected to interview to find out more about this kid. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, the KD debut was a success last night, very predictably so. Looking ahead not only at the schedule, but the teams that will challenge the Suns the most going forward. We'll talk about that next on the Burns and Gambo show. Burns and Gambo Arizona Sports the local sports leader Back here with you on the Burns and Gambo show on this Thursday afternoon. Suns, next up, they're going to take on the Chicago Bulls tomorrow at 6 o'clock in the NBA tonight. And I know we've got our What's On Tonight segment coming up in a little bit. Uh, but I'll just tell you right now, Philadelphia is taking on the Mavs tonight. So if you're looking at Western Conference teams, keep an eye on that one. And the Clippers are taking on the Warriors tonight. Certainly keep an eye on that one as it relates to what's going on in the West. Golden State, that game's at home where they play well, not on the road where they don't. Still no Steph Curry, but he'll be back soon. Clippers have yet to win a game since Russell Westbrook has joined them. And, of course, Dallas is what one in four in the five games that Kyrie and Luka have played together. So that's something else to keep an eye on tonight as well. And it's all part of this kind of broader conversation about who we should be afraid of in the Western Conference, who we should be scared of when it comes to the Suns and the teams that ultimately we think are going to challenge them when it's all said and done. Yeah, I think it's the teams that can defend. I think it's the teams that can, you know, that can defend and, and make it hard on the Phoenix Suns. And to me, that's Denver and that's the Clippers. It might be the Mavs if, you know, because I do think that they'll get that figured out. I really do. I think that that, that, that Luke is such a great player, and Kyrie's a great player too, and you may not like the mix-up, but I don't think adding Kyrie is like, you know, adding you know, D'Angelo Russell, or maybe even Russell Westbrook. But the Clippers, they, they have depth. They got a lot of depth, and so they can they can throw, they've got length. They could throw Kawhi at you. They could throw Paul at you. They could throw Man at you. So I think that that's a team, when I look at I like okay th- that that's a scary team because they've got they've got really good length they've got really you know man is like six five six six Paul is long Kawhi is long so they can match up with Phoenix because they could defend Phoenix and I think the same thing with with Denver I don't. I don't love the Nuggets, but when you start to think about ma- – it's all about matchups. The playoffs becomes about matchups. We especially learned that last year when with Dallas and Phoenix. That was just not a good matchup for Phoenix. But, like, the Suns don't have anybody that could guard Jokic. That's, that's one. And the second is Aaron Gordon is truly one of the better defenders in the league in his position. So he's active and he's athletic, so he could stick with – can't – shut the rant down, but he can make it very, very hard on him. And then Bruce Brown is a good defensive player, so they can guard. So I look at the teams that have the ability to guard and play defense as the biggest threats to the Suns. Yeah, and, and honestly, and it's not just because of Kyrie or me not liking the mix of Kyrie and Luka, and, and I don't, and I, I understand it will probably get better. I don't think that team's going to be able to defend a lick. I, I, I think if, if we're ruling teams out or, or drawing lines through teams 
teams because of their ability to defend. I, I think Dallas is going to suffer on that really, really badly. And when they get Max Kleba back, okay, maybe that changes things a little bit. But I think any team predicated, sir, centered on Luka and Kyrie Irving is going to be about trying to outscore you. And, and I just don't know if healthy, if anyone's going to be able to really outscore the Phoenix Suns with the offensive options they have. Look, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record on this one. And I, I don't, you know, are they even going to get in? I don't know because they've lost their last three with Westbrook. I, I think it's the Clippers. I, I think it's the Clippers because I know they can defend. I mean, I think Kawhi Leonard is still one of, if not the best two-way player in all the NBA. Uh, and I, I think he and they will be able to really rough up the game a little bit, right? Kind of kind of take it, make it not so easy for the Suns. They're the team I look at, and I would worry their ability to defend is going to be a problem. The Nuggets are interesting to me, and, and I know so much has changed in the last two years. Gambo, I keep thinking of the way that Aiton basically played Jokic to a draw in those four games, and I, and I, I wonder if we can get a repeat of that if it's going to be the Suns and the Nuggets again at some point in the playoffs. Because Aiton, I mean, not that he neutralized Jokic. He didn't. You're right. Nobody can guard Jokic on the Suns roster. But Aiton hung with him in those four games and really kind of matched his performance with performances of his own. And I thought that kind of neutralized Jokic to a certain extent. Yeah, no, he did. That was, you know, and, and Jokic just continues to get better and better. I mean, that was his first MVP year and then he had a second one. And I was about to have a third one. Um, yeah, you try to hold your own as best you can, right? You, you know, you don't want to lose the round 10-7 or 10-8. You, you want to lose the round 10-9. It's very likely that Jokic is going to have, you know, better numbers than, than DeAndre because he's the focal point of their offense compared to DeAndre Ayton, who's the, you know, who's the third or fourth option on any given night for the Phoenix Suns. So the big difference there, right? There's a big difference. That's why, you know, you, you, you probably can't say you can win the battle against him, but you want to hold your own, especially rebound. Rebounding the basketball, not letting Jokic get a bunch of offensive rebounds, and you've got to do a good job, you know, defend defensive rebounds. So I think that's what it comes down to. So I, I do, you know, I do think that Denver's got guys that can guard, especially with Bruce Brown and Gordon. You know, the Clippers. I mean, you know, look at a guy that sometimes doesn't even get a lot of minutes. Covington's a good defensive player, but he'll probably be their ninth or tenth guy. Like he's a good defensive player. So if they wanted to run him out there, he can defend. Paul, we mentioned. And Kawhi and man and it is, and I do think that Westbrook can make a difference. I know a lot of people don't, and you're one of them. And yep. you know, you look at the record, and um, I, I still think in the end that you know there, there's some adjustment to get used to for him. But he, I, I do think that he can make a difference for them in some ways because he does give them that third scorer that that they were really looking for. Yeah, I I I I just keep going back to the thing that you said the last couple of days and even into last week about the difference between being a really good basketball player and a winning basketball player. Yep. And I, I just I just don't know if Russell Westbrook to me falls into that category. I, I was reading one one talent evaluator, I can't remember if it was a GM or an assistant GM, and it, of course it was anonymous, but somebody who said, I, I actually think the Westbrook acquisition makes the Clippers worse. Um, that was, I think it was Hollinger. Was it Hollinger who wrote that or yeah, said, said that? Yeah. yeah. said something about them fearing them less now. Yeah, and I, I, I feel, now it's easy to point out something that kind of validates my own beliefs, but that's kind of how I feel about it too. And, and they've, I mean look, even before they got Westbrook, yeah, they've been playing better as of late. Their record against five Hundred or better basketball teams, not very good. Um, there, there's still a question about Kawhi's health overall. He's playing better, obviously, but is that going to last? Is that going to hold up? There are questions about that. I, I think, I think we're going to learn a lot about the LA Clippers in the next three weeks because the schedule for them is brutally, brutally tough. It's really difficult, and they haven't played well against a brutally tough schedule. So let's see how they hang in these next couple of weeks and how they do against the elite teams because. If they continue to struggle, then I'm probably going to fear them less and less as time goes on. We'll just have to see how they yeah, play. Yeah, it's just crazy to think that a guy who uh, – this guy's been a league MVP. He's won a couple of scoring titles. He's got nine or ten all-star appearances. It's just – man, it is crazy to think that that guy is a detriment, that he hurts you. Um, but – you know, a lot of people don't fear him. If they find the right role for him, if they find the right role, you know, where where he could, you know, he could just come in and give them scoring. I, I 
I do think that there's a chance that that he. I'm not ready to give up on uh, on him helping them, but there is something about like you know, like I've said, like you know, he just doesn't seem to be that winning player anywhere he goes. Yeah. Um. This this list that you sent me was ranking the 11 true NBA title contenders after the All Star break. Um. In reverse order from the bottom up, they they ruled the Pelicans out with all their injuries. They had the Mavs. They well, just got 40 from Brandon Ingram last night. I know they they did, but they. Ruled them out because of the injuries. Um, the Mavericks number eleven, the Kings number ten, the Cavs number nine, the Grizzlies number eight. But nobody's talking about the Memphis Grizzlies. I don't feel like I don't feel like a soul is bringing up Memphis right now uh, for whatever reason. The Warriors at number seven, and the guy, the person who wrote this said uh, this feels way too low for them. I'm nervous about putting them this low, but they're the Warriors, and so he puts them there. Clippers at six. The 76ers at number five, the Suns at number four, the Nuggets, the Celtics, and the Bucks number one. And the Bucks, and by the way, there's a report out there that Milwaukee just added Goran Dragic for what it's worth. Yeah, again, team that's battling for a playoff spot got rid of them. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, okay. Yeah, I know. You keep you 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 said that, and that that is certainly a red flag. A team that is that you would have thought needed him got rid of him. Why would they get rid of him if he were that good? He might not have nothing. Might not have anything left in the tank to give. But you know me. That's just a player. Well, that they I added was, him today. Uh, I think so. And you know what? I'm glad you brought that up. I think I was incorrect about when you can add a player. Yeah, I I think he had to be waived by yesterday. I think you can still add that player and have him be on your postseason roster. He just had to be waived by March 1st. Yes, I think. So if you waive him today, then he's not eligible. I believe so. If you waive a player today, he's not eligible for the postseason roster. If he's waived today, waived yesterday, he was. I think that's how it works. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, the Sun Devils could be entering historic territory if... They pull off another upset victory tonight, and it's going to take some work. That's next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Burns and Gambo, what's on tonight? Big night in college basketball locally on tonight. Big night. Big night. 7 o'clock, ASU versus UCLA. You will hear that game right here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader, the Arizona Sports app, uh, 98.7, all of it. We'll have the game. And then at 9 o'clock tonight, 8th-ranked U of A taking on USC. Now, we'll get into that one in a minute because that one is also big for somewhat similar reasons. Um, But those two games are on tonight, and I imagine we're going to be talking about both tomorrow here on Burns and Gambo. Let's start with ASU, and I want to pass along this little nugget here. Which comes from Greg Mraz, who is, what, a Pac-12 network researcher? Is that what you told me, Mitch? Okay. He tweeted out that if ASU basketball wins at Pauley Pavilion tonight against fourth-ranked UCLA, they will become the first Pac-12 men's basketball team since Cal in 94-95 to win at McHale and Pauley in the same season when both the Wildcats and the Bruins were in the top ten. Yeah, they'll be in. And that you're in. I mean, you're in. You're just you're in. You're you don't have to worry about bubbles. You don't have to worry about conference tournaments. You really probably don't have to worry about what other teams are doing around the country. You you beat U of A on the road when they're top ten. You beat UCLA on the road when they're top ten. You're in. I don't know if ASU can do it, but that's what's on the line for them tonight. They can punch their ticket. I think with a win tonight against UCLA. Yeah, I think they're in. You back to back wins against you know two of the better teams in the country. You know and. And, and ending up, they have the best winning streak in the country. They have the longest winning streak in the country at home right now. Twenty three games. They haven't lost at home yet this year. You go there and you win. Like, but they've got something to play for, right? I mean, they've already wrapped up the Pac twelve regular season title, so they're not playing for that. But they're playing for a number one seed. They're playing for being able to stay home and, um, be, you know, and, and even in the later rounds, be like in Vegas. Like, so there is something to play for for them when you start to look at the not just being home for the first two rounds, but just being as close to home as possible for the for the entirety of the NCAA tournament, getting that number one seed is huge, and they have a chance to be a number one seed. If UCLA can win these next two games and they win the Pac-12 tournament, they're a lock for a number one seed, in my opinion. Yeah, right now I'm looking at uh, this website I love to look at this time of year called Bra- 
bracket matrix, and it takes all these brackets from around the country, and basically, what's the average seed? How many are you in? What's your seed? What's the average of your seed? Things right now, like that. Right now, they've got Alabama, Houston, Kansas, and Purdue as the number one seeds, with UCLA knocking on the door as the very next team, potentially, that could be in there. Of the 79 potential brackets to choose from, ASU currently, right now, is listed on 54 of the 79. Okay? And that, it, of being in. Of being in. Of being in a bracket right, right now. 79 brackets that are out there that are projected. 54 of them have ASU in their bracket. And I'll tell you, I, you will not see, if they lose to UCLA tonight, that you're not going to see this big drop-off. Like, no. oh my God, they just dropped it. Now they're down to 20 brackets. If you go look at that tomorrow, or if they lose to UCLA, it's the USC game. It's not the UCLA game that matters. It's the, the the UCLA game is you can win, but you can't lose. You beat them, you just won the jackpot, you're in. But losing to them is not going to hurt you. The USC game is the one that matters. You lose to USC after losing to UCLA, and then that 54 is going to go down dramatically. Yeah, I would think so, too. And then you do that. Now, now I happen to be of the opinion, and I could be wrong on this one, that as long as nothing really crazy happens. If you beat USC, I think you're probably in if you're ASU. But even if you beat USC, I do think it opens the door for you could lose a spot if there's an upset in a conference championship somewhere, and now there's two bids going to a conference that was going to get one, etc., etc., etc. I mean, to the point where, and I appreciate him doing this, I don't know if he's listening or not, but Chris Cartman, our buddy from Sun Devil Source, um, has been doing this every single day for the last few days. Bubble teams ASU fans should root against today. If you're an ASU fan, you should root against Memphis. You should root against Wisconsin. You should root against Michigan. Oregon and Liberty. Now, I've got the Michigan game on in here right now. They're losing to Illinois 33-31 in, I believe, the second half of that game or late in the first half of that game. But he, Chris has gone so far as to look at the other teams that are kind of in similar positions to ASU. Here are the ones you want to lose. Here are the ones who could, who could be damaged tonight if they lose. And I, I think that's something you have to keep an eye on as well. Give me the, team, give me the teams he mentions again. Memphis, Wisconsin, Michigan, Oregon and Liberty. Okay, Michigan goes to Illinois. Huge game for Michigan. Well, that game's on right now. They're like I said, okay. they're they're losing thirty three thirty one. Yes. Yeah, Illinois is Illinois is three and nine against quad one. Michigan's even is 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 just uh just as bad. They're three and ten against quad one. That's Michigan. What did you guys say? Wisconsin? Wisconsin. Okay, they host Purdue. Um, they're six and six in quad one. They're four and five in quad two. Their net strength of schedule is really good at eleven. They played a good schedule, but a lot of losses. So they're probably going to end up as a bubble team. Uh, but they also end the season with Minnesota, so they're going to get a win there. Minnesota is terrible. Um, what's the other name of the team? Uh, Memphis. Memphis. I don't have a lot on Memphis. That'll be that'll be interesting. Memphis, um, right? Okay, I'm looking at bracket matrix again right now. Yeah. Memphis, right now, is listed. Their average seed is 11, which is the same for ASU. They're listed on 79 of the 79 brackets, but being an 11 seed, being on average an 11 seed, they're kind of in that same danger zone right now. Um, Memphis is in that danger zone. ASU's in that danger zone. Wisconsin, as I mentioned, is in that danger zone. Um, and, and, and like you say, what makes this game so important on Saturday against USC, USC's in basically the same range right now. They're 10 on this yeah. bracket matrix. They're, they're just a little teeny tiny notch above ASU right now when it comes to this, which is why their game against Arizona tonight is a big deal. But that game between USC and ASU on Saturday is huge. Here's, huge, something, huge. here's something on ASU, too. They're, they're pretty good away from home.
home. They've got 10 wins away from home. They're 7-4 and four away. They're 3-0 and oh on neutral site. The problem for ASU is that net, right? That net rating is not very good. Now, that goes way up if they beat UCLA. I don't think it hurts them with a loss. Um, I don't think that hurts them, the net rating. But if they won, the net would go way up, and I think that they, you know, they would they would be in. Their net is 75. So that is really interesting. They're four and two in quad one. They're four and six in quad two. They've got the bad losses at Texas Southern in San Francisco. The Texas Southern one is not a good loss. Um, so that's a quad four loss. But it seems like that loss is really hurting ASU quite a bit, especially in that, that net rating, because they're 75. So a loss to UCLA doesn't hurt that net, I don't think, very much at all. Um, so then it would really come down to the USC game. We USC, you, you, USC is probably in unless... You know, because USC is, has nine wins in quads one and two. So unless they lose like this, if USC loses both games and then loses their first game in the conference tournament, they're probably not going to get in. That's and that's why I think that's why I think for ASU and I, I think if ASU can beat USC on the road and maybe solidify things with one more win in the conference tournament, that could be enough for them when it's all said and done. Um, bracketology hasn't been updated lately from uh, Joe Lenardi, but as his last kind of one, he had ASU as one of the last four teams in, but he, he had USC as a ten seed, and that's not really comfortable territory either for them. So they, they've they got some work to do to maintain their spot. And certainly if ASU beats them on their home floor on Saturday, I would think that would bolster ASU's case. So well, let me go back to Memphis for a second because sure, you mentioned them. Were you, were you kind of like hinted that they're on the bubble? Kind of hinted that ye, that they that they are in a similar position, a little bit better than ASU's, but not much better. Yes. Man, I think that net is really high. Uh, Gamble, I'm just telling you this bracket. Yeah, yeah. Bracket Matrix has them. Um, they're listed in all the brackets. Like every bracket has Memphis in it, but their seed is 11. And so if you're an 11 seed, you're yeah. one of the last teams in, right? You're, 22 and 7. They just beat Cincinnati Sunday. I think their ratings are 38. Okay. Oh, Lenardi, Lenardi yeah. has Memphis as one of his last four buys. Okay. Four, wow. Okay. So not wow, last four, not last four in, last four buys. So they got to play they play they got to play Houston. Yeah. They got two games. They got to play SMU. Is that tonight SMU? Probably. And then they play Houston. So they could take a hit. They could take a hit. Yeah, Lenardi's got them as one of the last eight teams in. So they're they're clearly on some kind of a bubble with a high net rating. Ooh, that would be okay. That 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 one's yeah. Because when you said Memphis, I wasn't actually thinking Memphis is a bubble team, but that's that that is interesting. Yep, there are some people who think that they are, no doubt about it. When we come back, we got bonus Burns and Gambo tonight because of ASU basketball. Pre-game coverage begins at six thirty. Kevin Durant's debut mattered. The team they played didn't. The teams the Suns are about to play very much matter. We'll talk about that next. Burns and Gambo. Burns and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bonus Burns and Gambo here on this Thursday night. ASU basketball, as I mentioned in the last segment, 7 o'clock tip time against UCLA. Tough task, tall task. Could they win? Then it would probably put to rest whether they're going to the NCAA tournament or not. If not, they're going to have some work to do against USC. Either way, we'll have that game for you right here, 7 o'clock on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. So we're with you right until the pregame coverage begins at 6.30. So we're with you right up until then. A little bonus burns and gambo. Thanks for hanging out. Of course, obviously, the top story of the day is and continues to be Kevin Durant. His debut last night was a predictably successful one, given 
given that they were taking on one of the worst teams in the NBA in Charlotte. Um, that's why your your reaction to the game was less about Durant and more about the game. You thought it was kind of boring, and it was. It was. It was. Of, it was kind of a boring game. It. it <laughs> they're bad. Charlotte's really, really bad. And while we were looking at kind of procedure and in how the Suns were going to work with Kevin Durant, the real test for this team is going to come in the next 19 games because there are some really tough games coming up. There are, and that's where you know schedules matter. Like this, the schedules matter. The Suns they got to play Sacramento twice. You got to play Golden State. You got to play Denver twice. You got a game against the Clippers. You got there are good battles, and and we're really going to get a, a gauge for this team. You can't you can't judge anything off of that game. No, last night. No, like literally nothing. Again, game doesn't mean anything. That game means nothing. The schedule is what matters, and when you play teams that are comparable to you and that you're going to be fighting for a playoffs, playoffs with, those games are what matter. You you can get a gauge, especially this late in the season when all the changes have been made and players are back. That's when you can you can really gauge it. So um, I'm looking forward to these games. They're starting Sunday. Sunday against Dallas. You know, I'm not... I'm, I think Dallas will be fine. I think they'll make the playoffs and that's going to be a tough out for somebody because of how good Luka is. And um, I know they lost Dorian Finney-Smith, but when Maxi Kleber comes back, that's big for them, and, and Kyrie's a great player. So I, I think they just got to figure it out. Some of these teams, they got to figure it out. I mean, it takes a little bit of time to figure it out when you add a player like that. Kyrie's a guy who has the ball in his hands a whole lot. So, you know, Kevin Durant is very adaptable. Kyrie may not be as adaptable. It might take 15 games to, to really get in sync with Luka. Yeah, potentially. I, I, I don't fear them because of that one, but I'll probably rue the day I ever said that. If you look at the next 19 games um it's and this isn't all of them i'm just kind of looking at the tough to semi tough ones um at dallas home against sacramento a back to back where you're at golden state and then you're home against milwaukee that's not going to be a lot of fun no a back to back where you're at sacramento and home against philly that's but, not going to be a lot of fun you know what it may, it could, I mean, it will be fun to watch. Oh, it, uh, it, but yeah, it, when I say not fun, yeah, when I say challenging, yeah, when I say not fun, I just mean that's like as back to back goes. That's that's kind of brutal. Um, it will be fun to watch to test them. Then the, the third set of back to backs that they have before the end of the season: home against Denver at the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, who the hell knows who's playing for the Lakers at that point? I, it was LeBron. I think they're saying like three weeks he's going to be out. He didn't need surgery on the foot. They won last night without him. AD is now hurt again as well. I, I have no idea what to expect out of the Lakers, but they, a, a, as a matter of course, they still have two games against Denver. They have two games against the Lakers. They still have a game against Milwaukee, a game against Philly, two games against Sacramento. It's it's a tough, it's still another game against the Clippers at the very end of the season. It's a tough finish to the schedule. And I, I liked what Kellen said about this earlier. That that's good. They need that. They they need games that will make them better. Because last night's game didn't make them better. Last night they were able to cruise and and they were fine. They need games that are going to make them better. Because here pretty soon they're going to be embroiled in a seven game series and they're going to need to be at their best. And you're not going to get there by playing the 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 the, 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 the Charlotte Hornets or Oklahoma City. They need this tough competition. They do. They do. And it will make them better and it will challenge them and, you know, and, and it'll be a good gauge for where they are and what they need to do. So I, I that's the games that are going to matter to us. Right. When we talk about schedules. You, well, what was yesterday's game? Didn't mean anything. It was boring. We got to see KD play. That's it. Don't put too much stock into what happened yesterday. They were playing four kids that were 22 years older or younger that deer in the headlights. Those kids may be good someday, but you know, right now they're they're just learning their way in the NBA. But when you start to play these other teams, and you you really get a gauge. And and the Suns look. We, James Jones talked about a ramp up with us. I mean, they, they, it's good game, good 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 ground. Uh, what would we say? Uh, you know, good footing to land on for that that Charlotte game. A nice first soft game. landing. It was a good soft, soft landing. landing for them. Yes. Yeah, and and that was it. But you don't have like five soft landings. Okay, you're not. You don't have two weeks of soft landings. Nope. That was your one soft landing, and then. You know, you have a little bit more of a challenge tomorrow and then a bigger challenge on Sunday and a much more bigger challenge is to come. So you'll get right into it. And and the Suns are still 
trying to win basketball games because there's an outside shot that they can still get to the three seed, especially with two games left against Sacramento. Yeah, I was just going to say those two games against the Kings could potentially go a long way as to whether you're going to catch them for number three. I liked how the Suns played against Sacramento when they met him a couple of weeks ago. Of course, they were, you know, Kevin Durant was there and that was kind of a big deal, but I like that they still have two games against the Kings. I, I'm looking at the schedule, your eyes, just like a magnet, are drawn to these four games. Tuesday, March 14th at home against Milwaukee. Saturday, March 25th at home against Philly. Friday, March 31st at home against Denver. Thursday, April 6th at home against Denver. Those are the four teams that when you really start talking about NBA championship title contenders with what's on the schedule. If you want to throw Golden State in there because of the defending champs, okay, you can. That's five games. Five games against teams that you could say are legit contender title teams, those are the ones you kind of circle. Those are the ones your eyes get drawn to. You could probably throw in the Clippers there if you wanted to as well. Um, those are the ones I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see how they match up against Denver in the regular season. Can't yeah. wait for that Milwaukee game You know, in a couple of weeks to see how they match up against the Bucs. The, the, those are the games where you go, okay, what do you got? What, what's, wh- how do you match up against the very elite in this league? Very it's excited matchups. to see those games. You're yeah. right, because that's what it is. It's all match matchups. Milwaukee can match up. Boston can match up. Denver can match up. It's the ability to defend what the Suns bring to the table is what those teams have. It really is truly all about matchups. Yeah, and how they manage those matchups. We'll see. Now, next up for the Suns, they're in Chicago taking on the Bulls tomorrow. That's a 6 o'clock tip time. You'll hear it here on Arizona Sports. I had suspected that maybe Kevin Durant wouldn't be available for that game as part of like some injury management plan. He's available. He's not on the injured list. All expectations are that he's a go and he's going to play, which I was a little surprised by, but it looks like he's going to give it a go tomorrow, so we'll get kind of part two against the Bulls team that's good, not great. Against the Bulls team that is one game out of the 10th spot in the Eastern Conference right now. So if the season ends today, they're not a playoff team, but they're one game away from at least being in the play-in tournament. So they still have something to play for there, um, but that's next up for the Suns, and then of course that big Dallas game coming up on Sunday. Yeah, I can't wait for that. I mean, I really can't, because that was a team that beat them last year, and now you got KD, and you know it's KD against Kyrie, right? The KD against Kyrie on Sunday, man. Can't think about that. How awesome is that going to be? You know, and going up against the team that beat you in the playoffs last year, like that is that's going to be a challenge. And Dallas is fighting for playoff positioning. They don't want to play in the play-in game. No, they don't. Um, nobody. I mean, right now in the West, the play-in, the play-in situation right now. Dallas is seven. Minnesota is eight. Utah is nine. New Orleans is ten. Uh, and then there are two teams that are at least a game or a game and a half out of the tenth spot. That's the Lakers and the Portland Trailblazers. So basically, you have got spots four through 12, and right now they are separated by four and a half games. Suns at four, the Trailblazers at 12, and those teams are all separated by only four and a half games in the standing. So there's a lot of shit. Now, I think the Pelicans are going to fade a little bit. I think the Lakers are going to fade a little bit. Uh, we'll see how it all shakes out, but there's a there's still a traffic jam right now in these standings. Yes, absolutely. And, it, and I don't know that there'll be much separation. I mean, it's just, you know... The, Denver separated themselves. I think one and two are going to be fine, but everything else, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, like all of that is still in play right now. And all it takes is one bad losing streak for somebody to really fall off the fall off the map with this thing. No doubt about it.